Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. And welcome back to What's Appa, a rewatch podcast of the greatest show ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Joyce. I'm Justin. And I'm Anand. And this week, we want to give a special shout out to our friend Christina, who read the intro. So this is episode six of our podcast, where we'll be discussing the winter solstice part one, the spirit world. Um, this episode, we're not going to go entirely in chronological order because there are two storylines that don't really intersect. So um, we're going to kind of jump around, but we're going to kick it off with Anand talking about what happened before. So previously on Avatar. We learned at the Southern Air Temple that the Avatar is reincarnated in a cycle and that Avatar Roku uh, was the one before Aang. And we learned in a flashback that Mangiazzo said that Roku will be revealed to Aang when Aang is ready. And we also had in Omashu, King Bumi telling Aang that his mission is to defeat Fire Lord Ozai. Great. So we're going to kick it off and talk a little bit about Team Avatar storyline first. So the episode starts out with them flying in the sky. It's very, very peaceful um, until Aang dives into the clouds because Sokka is like, oh, the clouds are so fluffy. Why don't you try to jump through them, Katara? And then then Aang is like, yeah, like, okay, I'll do it. Um, And he comes back and he's like, turns out the clouds are made, that clouds are made out of water. Um, And it just reminded me of the fortune teller episode, which happens later in season one, where Katara and Aang water bend water and air bend the clouds to form different shapes to influence like influence what the village does um and this is i guess when ang has the realization that clouds are made of water that will later spark that stroke of genius oh that's a cool connection um yeah i just really like ang's energy here Sokka and katara are sarcastically joking about going in the clouds and ang's like i'll go in the cloud and he just jumps off and does his <laughs> crazy laugh so i like his energy yeah he's very very cute so then um, the fun is spoiled when Katara sees that the forest has been, this forest that they're flying over has been burnt to a crisp. And there's this like kind of scar running through it. And so they land and they're checking out the burnt forest. And that's the next scene. So um, they're like looking around and Sokka makes this remark um, saying, it must have been the firebenders. Those evil savages have no respect. And I thought this was interesting because we just talked about in the last episode in Imprisoned how the earthbenders or the firebenders at the prison were kind of dehumanizing um, their enemy. And here Sokka is doing the exact same thing, calling the firebenders savages. So when Sokka says that this is a scar on the earth, obviously the first thing I thought about was like scar. Oh, Zuko's face also has a scar. But as we'll discuss and see as this episode progresses, I think this episode is a really good metaphor for Zuko's situation. Mm. Not only his situation, but also the first time in the entire show that we see a glimpse of his redemption arc and any redeeming characteristics inside him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So then um, later in the scene, Aang is really sad about the burnt earth and he falls to the ground and he says, how could I let that? How could I have let this happen? And he says, it's the avatar's job to protect nature, but I don't know how to do my job. I was like, same bro, same. (laughs) But um, he he's he says that he needs to talk to Roku to figure out how to 
be this bridge between the physical and the natural and spirit worlds. Um, but he does, he just doesn't know how to do his job, um, which is a big, that's the main conflict that we see in this episode and the next episode, which is part two. So then Katara is trying to cheer Aang up as she always does and usually succeeds in doing. So she throws an acorn at him and she says, he's like, why did you do that? And then she also throws one at Sokka later, which is funny. But she says it means that the forest will grow back because these acorns are everywhere. And I was just like, "Mm, Katara, she's so good. She can always see the bright side. And um, I mean, this comes back later in the episode in a big way, but uh, she really... Um, is his rock here yeah i just thought this was a really good katara moment um Mm -hmm. because she really yeah is the heart of the group and can cheer anyone up and when ang saw that the forest had burned he was very sad especially because of his connection to nature he especially felt that and i think also he said like how could i let this happen he still feels this guilt of when bad things happen it's on him because it's his job to protect the world so mm-hmm. Aang was really down here and Katara chilled, cheered him up immediately. So just a good Katara moment. Mm-hmm. So doubling back down on this metaphor, I think this shows that Zuko's scar, he can heal from it and grow past it. And Iroh's kind of sowing these seeds of goodness inside him that he can reap later and grow into this like full forest of a person. And we see him kind of making these decisions later on in the episode. Um, another thing I wanted to point out is... I feel like Katara is very uncharacteristic at this point in the show because, you know, when they land, Sokka's like all angry. He's expressing himself. And then Katara tells him to shut up because Aang is sad. And I think Katara, um, that was kind of a mean thing for Katara to do. It's this very somber moment where she kind of tries to cheer Aang up. But then she just switches moods very quickly and then throws an acorn on his head. I don't know. It seemed a little... A little strange. Um, There's too quick of a tonal shift there for it to be believable. I kind of agree. I think the throwing the acorn at Aang is totally like the cheering up Aang is a Katara move, but the physical aggression it's not like even even if it's a joke, even being jokey is not a typical Katara move. So that was kind of yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, so then um, this old man, old man number three of the show, are we going to keep tallies of all the old men (laughs) we see? Also, of all the villages we see, because there are a lot of those uh, unnamed villages. I mean, they do have names if we go on Avatar Wiki, but in the show, they're unnamed. Um, so old man number three, the most neutral old man we see so far. I like far, him. I, I like say. this old man. I'm team this old man. I feel like this old man is very average. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> he approaches and asks Aang if he's the Avatar, and then Aang turns to Katara before he nods yes. So I thought this was another indication of how close they are and how much trust he has in her and she here is playing this kind of like motherly like author like authority figure for him like he kind of he turns to Katara for validation and support a lot yeah I thought this moment was really funny it just seemed like Aang was looking at Katara for permission to say that he's Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> like like Katara was his mother literally yeah and then old man number three says our village desperately needs your help so then they go back to the village and he introduces himself and he says hi Aang and they're like whoa and then one other random man I think he's the leader of the village says it is the greatest honor of a lifetime to be in your presence and Aang just replies it's nice to meet you too and I think this is a theme of the episode as well which is that he's so young and he's 
first he doesn't feel worthy of the title of avatar so that might contribute to it but also i think he's just not accustomed to this level of reverence and doesn't feel deserving of it and so he's very like he doesn't like to acknowledge it yeah so following that this man does two i think interesting actions here he bows um not only does he have his palms together which in a lot of eastern cultures is usually reserved for a sign of reverence and veneration towards either um usually someone very spiritual so that's the spiritual side of ang but then afterwards he puts his hand together in a uh wushu greeting which is your left hand in a paper kind of like rock paper scissors like paper over your right hand which is a rock which is a sign of respect um towards someone else so it's interesting that he uses both here, and I thought it was worth noting because uh, even all the architecture in this Earth Kingdom village is all very um, Oriental Asian, like Chinese, Japanese influenced. Yeah, it looks almost exactly like the mining town of the last episode. So then this village leader explains uh, what this village's problem is. So he says that each of the last three nights, this spirit named Heibai comes to attack after sunset and people have been abducted each night and it's getting worse and worse as the winter solstice is nearing. Um, and he explains that as the winter solstice draws near, the natural and spirit worlds grow closer and closer until the line is blurred completely. Yeah, just a fun fact, Heibai actually means black white in Chinese. So then after Aang hears this, he says, oh, that's horrible, but he doesn't feel capable of helping them. And this man says, one of the men, I don't keep, keep track of which one says what, you are the great bridge between man and spirit. So again, they're really elevating him to this like status of avatar, this great hero. And he says, yep, that's me. And then as he's trying to go out and lure Heibai in or confront Heibai, he says, maybe whatever I have to do will just come to me. So this is Aang, even though he feels overwhelmed and insufficient he's still going with the flow optimistic that things will work out and then Katara says I think you can do it Aang and then Sokka says yeah we're all gonna get eaten by the spirit monster (laughs) Um, and I just thought Sokka's face was really funny and sarcastic here I thought the animation was really good his eyebrows were kind of angled downwards and he looked really he looked really serene but he's saying like (laughs) we're gonna die so I thought that um, animation was funny that's funny. Yeah. I think in these last three lines of dialogue right here, we have a good encapsulation of each of the characters. So right before mm-hmm. this is said, Aang says, I have to try, don't I? Which shows his optimistic side. Katara says, I think you can do it, Aang. Her supportive side. And then, yeah, we're all going to get eaten by a spirit monster. Isaka's like skeptical, sarcastic side. So again, it just yeah. like building the, the characters very nicely here. Yeah. That one scene was like the spark notes of avatar (laughs) the tldr okay so then hey comes and ang is standing out there all by himself and dun 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 what's gonna happen i don't know yeah so when hey comes or when he's about to reach the village there's a lot of whispers going in the background kind of like i just thought it was really (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting because i read that later but i didn't notice that i didn't notice it either it must have been really subtle that's I guess they built the tension up well, so you didn't even notice that unless you're Justin. It seemed almost like those schizophrenia simulators where you're like you're hearing voices in your head, but you're not sure what they're saying. It's very creepy. Yeah. So after these whispers, we hear Sokka say, This isn't the right this isn't right. We can't sit here and cower while Aang waits for some monster to show up. So we have Sokka kind of showing his bravery here too. He thinks it's unfair 
that the avatar is out there all alone. He's also kind of skeptical of this avatar can talk to spirits and is one with nature because he's just skeptical of like all this mysticism. And so he's like, we should go out there and fight with him, which is, you know, kind of a more courageous thing to do because everyone else is content to just sit back and be like, oh, the avatar can handle it. Mm-hmm. I would go as far to say uncharacteristic for Team Avatar to sit around. Um, remember, like, just a couple episodes ago, they were literally in a prison and they all just jumped up and were volunteering ideas, trying to break everyone out. Um, and then here, Katara is just content to not waterbend, not do a single thing um, and fight with Aang. I, I thought it was kind of strange. And in some of the combat like Appa fights things, and it, I think it'd be really epic to have an Appa versus K. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, that, you're so right. Yeah, Appa doesn't do much this episode. So yeah, then the sun sets, and Aang in his first attempt, well, Heibai doesn't show up, and so he says, "I hereby ask you to please leave this village in peace." And then he does this, like he swings his um glider around, and then he uh stamps it into the ground and he says okay well i guess that's subtle then he starts turning around and then hey bye appears behind him and he's like whistling and walking back and then he realizes hey bye is there and hey bye does not look nice hey bye looks very scary uh and tries to play nice with him and introduce himself and make friends with the spirit but that totally just doesn't work and hey bye starts destroying the village yeah hey bye is super creepy yeah. so a little bit on the inspiration behind hey bye so first of all, when I first saw Hey Bai, I was reminded uh, of one of those monsters from Bleach, if anyone is a Bleach <laughs> fan out there. They're called Hollows. Yeah. The creators of the show were inspired by the show called Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> okay, so then Aang, yeah, Aang's trying to introduce himself and make friends. And then some one of the men says, the Avatar's methods are unusual. So yeah, everyone is sitting there in the window and... Everyone just has way too much faith in the Avatar, given especially given that he's a kid and is very unexperienced, and especially because Katara knows he doesn't know anything also. So I guess like Justin has mentioned this before, but it's kind of the danger of putting too much faith into one person or one idea, because Aang literally has no idea what he's doing, and all these people are content to just sit by, especially when they could help, potentially. Mm-hmm. Then Aang proves to be useless as well so i guess they're screwed because he gets thrown into a building and then Sokka decides that that's enough and then he has to go help him but then he gets taken pretty much immediately so then ang goes chasing after Sokka, and he is catching up to them on his glider but then just as he's about to reach for Sokka's hand Sokka and heibai disappear into the spirit world and ang falls and collides like falls to the ground and runs into this bear statue Ooh, foreshadowing so Aang has air glided before, but this is the first time I've really noticed that Aang doesn't really use any muscles to bend the air in order to glide. Um, and then another another thing that was interesting in the scene, and I think this is the first major plot loophole that I noticed on my first watch through, is that Aang passes out. Um, when he collides with the ground on the, at the feet of the statue. But when Aang comes back from the spirit realm, he is sitting on top of the bear statue. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. I also noticed that this watch through. Wow. Very detail-oriented, you two. So then 
The next scene is Katara back at the village and she's very sad because both Sokka and Aang are gone and she um, is clutching Sokka's boomerang and I thought that was really sweet because I think you don't get too many tender Katara Sokka moments but I think that was a cute one and Aang returns from the forest and he's like hello hello but he realizes that he can't communicate with them because he's in the spirit world which is a big revelation for us because this is the first time we see anybody in the spirit world yeah right before Aang comes back when Katara is just sitting at the edge of the village we hear like all the whispers of like and like (laughs) it's still daylight so I'm wondering like does everyone hear this like as it nears the solstice are people just going crazy like hearing voices all over town um and and another thing is when Aang comes back he's all blue my literal first thought was like oh avatar the blue people that's where they got their inspiration from they're stealing the name and they stole the idea too. James Cameron. Tisk tisk. So yeah, he realizes that he can't talk to them and he's like, shoot, what do I do? And then this magical dragon appears. Um, okay, fine. <laughs> so the spirit dragon shows up and um, it's, I think that's where a commercial break would be cut in, but this scary looking dragon is approaching and you're just like, oh my God, Ink's gonna die in the spirit world. But he doesn't. Spoiler alert. So this scary dragon, um, his name is actually Fang. I found that out when I was wikiing around. And it made me think of Hagrid's Fang, Animal Companion. Oh. <laughs> so they stole something too. So exactly. It's okay, Wait. The cycle oh, of, yeah. Avatar stole something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cycle of uh, appropriating the past. <laughs> um, uh, but he's trying to escape from Fang and he realizes that he also can't bend in the spirit world. So spirit world has a lot of drawbacks. It doesn't sound like a fun place to visit. So then the dragon touches its whiskers to, the for- to Aang's forehead and he imparts this wisdom on him and he sees this vision, vision number one, of Avatar Roku. So he realizes that Fang is Roku's animal guide. And then he offers... The- dragon offers to take Aang to Roku um and this reminded me of this this communication through the forehead touching and everything reminded me of the show's finale with the lion turtle but it makes me think that you know Justin among others have their critiques of the finale kind of coming out of the blue but maybe this is an indication that it wasn't so out of the blue because there's this ability of spirits to through this sort of like energy bending secret message conveying power to impart wisdom into other people so now we're going to cliffhanger here we're going to move on to Zuko and Iroh's plot b as some refer to it as um and talk about what they're up to in this episode so they're back first of all we miss them um we get some we get some good banter and relationship building between the two of them. So Zuko's looking for Iroh and we see that Iroh, naked Iroh, is bathing in these self-heated hot springs. And he says, relax a little. I heated it myself. And then he blows smoke through his nostrils. Dragon of the West, which I thought of. And then I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that they do mention that this episode. Mm-hmm. And then Zuko says, let's leave. We need to leave now. And Iroh stands up naked and there's a little nudity joke here. Ha ha ha. Rated R. This episode is also rated R. I forget there's <laughs> another one that was rated R. So then Zuko says, oh, you know, you can have another 30 minutes. You know, I'll just leave because he's 
kind of disgusted and appalled. So then Iroh falls asleep in the hot springs. And when he wakes up, he gets captured by earthbenders. So Iroh's woken up by a small metal vole, vole and he says, oh, a metal vole. Seems I should have known. So as we all know, most animals, besides the bear, uh, are combination animals in the world of Avatar. Um, so that implies that there's a creature out there that is a meadow, which is just like these huge hulking <laughs> masses of like grass and dirt that are like creeping around. So maybe that's maybe it's one of the first like pure animals, actually, then. Well, then this is the only other pure animal. Yeah. And then there's Earth King's bear. But also there's the panda. So there are a lot. And some people say that's a plot hole, too, because when they get to the Earth Kingdom, they're when they meet the Earth King's bear, they're just like just a bear and they've clearly seen so many normal animals anyways so then they yeah Iroh gets captured and they realize that he is the once great general Iroh which is the quote and brother of fire lord Ozai yeah I just really like this scene a lot because it juxtaposes what Iroh was with what he is at the moment which is this overweight old man sitting in a bathtub totally naked and captured so he's captured as most vulnerable and it really shows um the the juxtaposition of him at his greatest with him at his weakest yeah it's also a a just again a nice allusion to his ferocity and strength that we don't see really at all at this point um i guess we saw it a little bit with him and zuko when he was t- when he took down Zhao, um, but we're really going to see it in this episode. And at the end of the scene, he makes a very angry, determined face when they capture him. And so, you know, he's not just he's not just will he's not going to go willingly. It's not like he's given up on life and he's just chilling. Um, he still has a lot of fight in him. Yeah. Yeah. So then Zuko comes back and realizes that uncle is missing and he says something's not right here. And this random Fire Nation soldier says, looks like there's been a landslide, sir. And I thought it was funny because I feel like they make they really use the Fire Nation soldiers as comedic characters and as comic relief a lot. Like in the last episode, too, in Imprisoned, we see the fire nation soldiers at the prison being just stupid and the warden is kind of stupid sometimes and i just think that's it's it's interesting that they have a lot of inept fire nation soldiers it makes the fire nation which is the evil force seem less intimate less scary then the earthbenders are carrying naked ira away just kidding he's wearing this loincloth <laughs> so he's not entirely naked but um, they're going to Ba Sing Se and then he, Iroh asks, where are we going? And the Earth Kingdom soldier says, you once laid, you're very familiar with it. You once laid siege to it for 600 days, but it would not yield to you. So again, well, this, we learned two things. Earth Kingdom is super strong willed and Iroh was a very strong general at one point. Yeah, I thought a really sad comment here. Iroh says, we, he ended the siege because he was tired his soldiers are tired and that he is still tired. Mm-hmm. And after watching the uh, tales of Bossing say, you realize that he is still tired because he misses his son, Luten. How can you not feel bad for Iroh? So then Iroh falls. We can't feel too bad for him because he's very sneaky and conniving. Uh, so he <laughs> falls down and by pretending to be tired and he leaves a sandal behind as a tracker uh, for Zuko. Yeah, I like that scene where he's like pretending to fall asleep because as he's falling asleep, before he falls down, he leans on the guard a little bit as he's falling asleep and the guard 
looks back at him with this like stink eye, which was a very cute detail they put in. And then he falls down. So we learn here that Iroh is really good at playing this old fool because uh, obviously he does this to lay a tracker for Zuko. And this is reminiscent of the beginning of season three um, when Iroh is in the Fire Nation prison and and he just plays a total fool uh, in order to um, have the guards let their guard down. Yeah, I I think this is a big theme of the show is to message to the kids out there is just don't let others underestimate you. Um, I was thinking that maybe the message is to exploit what others might think your weaknesses are to use against <laughs> them, but I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit too... I don't know, manipulative, but I, I mean, so I, it made me think that Toph does this too all the time. I don't, mm -hmm. I think what willingly or not, because when you see Toph, a lot of people underestimate her right away. So I think when we're introduced to her as the blind bandit, when she's fighting in the arena, in the, um, in the arenas, people underestimate her. That's not really by her own choice when she gets underestimated, but it, I just thought of in the runaway episode in season three, she does play up this uh, blind girl, helpless mm. role where she, when she yeah. literally extorts these <laughs> fire, <laughs> fire villain, fire nation villagers. So, and I mean, in that case, it was just, it was morally reprehensible. <laughs> so I don't know what the message here is, but a message is definitely to not uh, judge people by how they look and how they might seem. We've also seen this earlier in the King Boomy episode. Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. You see a lot of characters, which is really cool. So then Zuko finds the sandal and it's super smelly. So it's a moment again where Zuko gets a funny, a funny scene. And Iroh is also coming off as this likable, not likable, relatable old guy. Yeah, non-threatening. He's just really smelly. That's true. Non-threatening. And I thought it was funny that this sandal literally has its own Avatar Wiki page because it does come back. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just um, in the finale, right? Yeah. In Sozin's comment part two, when they use it to find Iroh again. So also, does that mean that Zuko's held on to this very this <laughs> particular sandal throughout <laughs> all of winter and spring and then summer? So for three seasons, he keeps it with him. And then you have to think, why did he betray Iroh in season two if this whole time he's been holding on to his smelly ass? Yeah, that's a great point. Because <laughs> that's true love. <laughs> so then we go back to the Earth Kingdom soldiers again. And at this point, we see Aang riding on Roku's dragon flying across the sky. And Iroh sees the dragon. How? It's so weird. Yeah, I think, I think this is something that the show creators must have um, thought about a little bit because or my conjecture is that Iroh can see them because he has been to the spirit world before. Um, and that's why he can see other spirits, I suppose. Um, but that means the show creators already had laid out this bigger thing for Iroh, this bigger arc that he would have or this bigger role that he would play in in the Avatar world. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, it is revealed later in the Siege of the North Part 2 that Zhao says that, oh, I've heard about your room, the rumors of your travels to the spirit world. So that's where we get a little sense of Iroh's spiritual connection. And it's rumored that some say he went to find his son. 
Um, so then the next ploy that Iroh does is he says his old joints are feeling achy and that his shackles are too loose. And he asks the Earth Kingdom soldiers to tighten them. And then boom, he jukes them out and he is like psych and he blows. He uses his steam trick again to heat up the handcuffs and he burns the Earthbender's hands. Yeah, he just gives his poor man like third degree burns when he could have just like shoved him away. It's very sad. Very savage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they later are a lot more savage, so. <laughs> but so he has this grand escape plan and it, uh, he rolls down the hill and the earthbenders go after him and they do eventually recapture Iroh and they decide that he's too dangerous and that they have to deal with him here and now. Um, and I was just thinking, why did he do this? So when they take him away, he does smile. And I think the only thing that makes sense is that he's um, stalling for Zuko to come save him. Yeah. Although, as we'll later see, I don't know if this was the best plan he could have because he was about to have his arms cracked open. Yeah. Um, but anyway, when the Earthbenders are recapturing Iroh, there's some pretty good music going on. For whatever reason, they decide to put some good music here. I think it's reminiscent a little bit of Agni Kai. But <sighs> When are we going to hear Agni Kai again? So then the next scene is Zuko tailing Iroh and he sees Katara flying on Appa in the sky. And we have this moment of a moral dilemma, another moral dilemma where Zuko has to decide what he's going to do. Is he going to keep pursuing his uncle and try to find him again? Or is he going to switch like switch gears and go after the Avatar? Yeah. And then as we uh, soon find out, it turns out that Zuko does have a heart and that he <laughs> goes to find his uncle. Um, and this, again, this is probably the second moment in the show, but one of the first definitive moments, as Justin said previously, where we see that Zuko is a more complex character, that his mission of finding the Avatar is not the only thing in his mind, and he does have capacity show, to show compassion for at least someone he, he does care deeply about, which is Uncle Iroh. And this, yeah, it goes beyond what we've already seen in the Agni Kai when he spares Zhao. So more mm -hmm. growth from him and more uh, complexities added to his character here. And this is the metaphor coming full circle. The first pine tree in a forest that will become his redemption arc. Wow. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so I have, a, I have another question. <laughs> I'm full of questions today. Um, but what did you guys think? Zuko was going to do when he looks up and see the avatar and then he uh, he he sees the footprints and thinks about rescuing his uncle. So I'm going to take a leap of faith here and say that the main reason Zuko chooses not to go after Team Avatar here is because it is specifically his uncle that he is going to save and he has a special connection to his uncle and I think if it was his soldiers or something he wouldn't because later on in just a few more episodes in the storm episode we see him have to make this decision again and he chooses to go after team avatar and put his entire crew at risk so I think it's a special connection to his uncle here that he's prioritizing and not the moral dilemma of do I save this person or go after team avatar yeah, no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a good point. I mean, when I first saw this and when I rewatched it right now, I actually forgot what happened. And I totally thought Zuko was going after that, uh, going after um, what he thought was Avatar. Wow. Um, I had I, I didn't really have faith in, in Zuko. Such a low bar. 
Why you got to do Zuko dirty like that? I mean, I have good reason, as we will later see. (laughs) It's okay, Zuko. I still love you. Okay. So, and then um, Zuko comes to the rescue, and he comes in right as they're about to punish Iroh. And they say, these dangerous hands must be crushed. And this is very cruel and unusual punishment. (laughs) But... um, Someone on the internet pointed out, why did they want to crush his hands? He only firebended out of his feet when he was trying to escape. (laughs) So there's another goof of theirs. I guess it would have been super weird if they put his feet up for (laughs) crushing. (laughs) Or just like his nose. Maybe it was an aesthetic consider. Yeah, his nose and his feet. Yeah, on the crushing block. Oh, man. Okay. Um, That's dark. Anyways. Yeah, that is all dark. (laughs) Anyways. um, Yeah, I just think his plan was really stupid. There were one second away from crushing his hands and he had no other alternative than to wholeheartedly trust Zuko and even if Zuko had decided to come but he came like five seconds too late it would have been over it's interesting that how that that was his whole plan and it does show that Iroh wholeheartedly trusts Zuko to mm-hmm. make the right decision yeah. and this time he did at least mm-hmm Yeah, so then Zuko comes to the rescue and he uses his pointy shoes to break the chains that Iroh is bounded by. And it just made me think of, that's a sharp outfit, Zuko. Careful, you could puncture the hull of an Empire-class Fire Navy battleship, leaving thousands to drown at sea because it's so (laughs) sharp. Um, Zuko can get the ladies. Exactly. (laughs) Um, All these Fire Nation people are very fashionable. So... Yeah, he uses his armor to break the chains, which is, okay, kind of unbelievable, whatever. And then they take down these soldiers. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. There's this great moment when uh, the captain of this squadron says, surrender yourselves. You're clearly outnumbered. And then Ira goes, ah, that's true, but you're clearly outmatched. And he's like sitting there with like his whole gut out, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but to prove his point, Iroh does not even fire bend one time in this fight sequence. He only mm-hmm. uses the chain whip. Yeah. Yeah, Iroh's a badass. So then they defeat the earth benders and Zuko says, now would you please put on some clothes? And again, Zuko gets to be funny and... Yeah, he did the right thing by finding his uncle and all is well. And I think your impressions of the two of them just shoots up by 100 points. So then transitioning back into Team Avatar storyline, Aang is being taken by Roku's dragon to Roku's island, which is this crescent shaped island. And we get into this temple and he sees a statue of Roku. So this scene was really cool to me because there's a lot of religious iconography that I saw in this episode. So doing some research here, the statue of Roku, uh, when he stands the way he's standing, at least in depictions of religious statues in China and parts of India, standing means he's, uh, especially of the Buddha, it means he's there repelling evil. Um, And the way he's put his hands together, it means that he's... uh, beginning getting ready to travel and to teach and here he's teaching Aang you know how to deal with both Sosan's comment and also with Sokka's situation um, more than that they pan to a shot of the Fire Nation temple which is based off Chinese and Japanese multi-story pagodas but mm-hmm. the first thing I thought of was um 
disclaimer, there's a lot of super, super great Avatar and Korra video games, including multiple console games. Uh, the Wii one is really great. But what I thought of was... Um, at least when I was a kid on Nick.com, there were all these amazing flash games. There's like over 30 of them. And one yes. of them was Fortress Fi Fight Flash 2. There was so good. There was two of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Find a friend, play the game. It's really great. Um, but yeah. Is it still up? I, I'm not sure. I haven't checked. Well. All right. We can do an episode about if Fortress it, Flash. Yeah. If it live, is, we can play live stream on Twitch. <laughs> Fortress, <laughs> Fortress Fight. Yeah. To close out the scene here, when they're showing the calendar part and everything leading up to the solstice, on the ground we see some Chinese letters surrounding this lotus that is the calendar. We see the Chinese words for spring equinox, winter solstice, and autumn equinox, which I thought was really, really cool that they could incorporate that. Mm -hmm. So Aang has vision number two here, which is where Roku wants to talk to Aang about the comet. So something to note about these visions is there's not real language or dialogue conversation being exchanged it's really just these visions actually just visions or images um so we see the comet and from that he gathers that roku wants to talk to him about a comet and then we have another vision so the first thing i noticed about vision number three is that there's this really cool time lapse in of roku's temple on crescent island and the suns and the sun and the moon like moving such that it's moving towards winter solstice and i thought this was cool because something we've noticed something we've commented on is that some of the shots in avatar are very cinematic and inspired by real cam like life camera shots camera lenses different effects that filming has on uh, visuals and this is something a time lapse is something that you would really only see in a film um, not animated typically so that was kind of cool mm. and then so that vision reveals to Aang that something to do with the winter solstice so specifically you can only talk to Roku when the winter solstice comes then Aang gets all the answers he needs and he returns to the village and he's waiting for Heibai again and so I guess he has like he has a plan at this point so then Heibai shows up again and he first of all when he returns it's kind of a jump scare not that I was scared by it but I feel like it was it was one of those moments where he pops out of the blue and it could it could be jarring if you're in a surround sound ecosystem <laughs> so then he instead of fighting Heibai he touches Heibai's forehead again so again this forehead message communi message sending communication um, and then he sees him for what he really is which is in the physical world which is a giant panda and then he realizes so I guess they have some sort of exchange of thoughts here and he realizes that the panda is upset and it's because the forest got burned down. So he says, when I saw the forest had burned, I was sad and upset, but my friend gave me hope that the forest would grow back. And then he has this acorn that he shows to Heibai. Yeah. So like, what the heck was Aang like holding this acorn the whole time? Like number <laughs> one, he doesn't even have pockets. So <laughs> is he just like clenching it like with his like pants? I, I, I have no clue. And the second thing is like, how can this spirit understand English, but he can't talk? Yeah, just like the dragon. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, and Appa and Momo. <laughs> so then Heibai turns back into a giant panda and he returns to the forest and these bamboo shoots grow out of nothing. And these missing villagers are appearing. And Sokka, the first thing he says is he really needs to pee because he can't use the bathroom in the spirit world. Ha 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 ha. 
There you go. There you go. Five-year-old, there's your joke for the episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. And just one thing to know is here, Katara is the true hero. So we have the dragon hero, which is like the deus ex machina of the episode. But Katara is the real life hero of this episode because she was the one who gave Aang that inspiration to begin with. So she is on mm -hmm. a two-episode streak of being the hero. Yay. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I have a question about this episode because it seems like the whole plot line of the Roku thing and the Heibai thing were mostly unrelated. Like, Aang is cheered up by Katara before the first time he faces Heibai, right? But he's still unable to stop Heibai. But he's only, so he's only able to stop Heibai the second time after he goes on this excursion. But what does he learn on this excursion that he applies when he meets Heibai the second time? He sees the bear statue. Yeah, I guess. Is that it? <laughs> but yeah, I just I think that shows that they fit two kind of unrelated things into the same episode here, because I, I don't think the 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 Fire Nation excursion really taught him anything about how to deal with Heibai. I mean, I think he does. I think the fact that he was a, even able to communicate with Heibai via the forehead touching spiritual connection is maybe something he learned from the dragon. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Aang just magically learns a lot of things through touching things. Like, for example, how to <laughs> stop the Fire Lord through a very convenient way where he doesn't have to kill him and face his titular issue. Anyways, <laughs> we'll come back to that in a year and a half. So then Aang saves the village, hooray! And the village is all thanking Aang and they say, if only there were a way to pay you for what you've done, says the village leader. And Sokka says, you could give us some supplies and some money. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's, here's one way that the Avatar makes their cash is by charging for their services. <laughs> so maybe Aang is not the best Avatars because he's not free. That's not fair. So then... Yeah, Aang tells Katara and Sokka that his plan of going to the temple on a crescent-shaped island where he's going to meet Roku and they have to do it by the winter solstice, which is tomorrow. Dun, dun, dun. And yeah, the episode then ends on the Fire Nation motif. It's actually a little riff on the Fire Nation motif, but uh, mm -hmm. this I think this is the first time where it ends on a, on a darker theme. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So let's wrap it up with our ratings, everybody. What did you guys think of this episode? Alrighty, I gave this episode a two because it was kind of boring. As I said before, I thought the Aang plot line was kind of split between these two different things that were slightly unrelated. And what he learns from his excursion is a little confusing. Uh, Katara and Sokka, we see, you know, one moment from Sokka, maybe one moment from Katara, but all of the main characters are kind of not much real growth. Uh, and... I think the only saving grace of this episode is Iroh. We learn a little bit more about him. But again, no, not much character development, not much humor in this episode like the previous couple. And the fighting was, you know, very limited as well. So I give it a two. Hmm. Interesting. I give it a five. And I think the reason I give it a five is because this episode does a lot for the narrative of the show. This is the first time we see Zuko kick off his redemption arc. This is the first time we see any inkling about like Aang's actual final 
um, battle and advancement of the plot. Up until this point, it's been random misadventures everywhere. But here we learn about Sozin's Comet and kind of like the ticking time bomb that Aang has to face the Fire Lord within, right? Um, at least that takes up to the end us to the end of season two. Um, uh, also, this is the first time we've seen Iroh really do anything, and this is the first time we've seen Iroh and Zuko in a very long time, in a couple episodes. Yeah. And then finally, I think it introduces the idea of the spirit world and spirits, which I think is really cool. There's a lot of very interesting iconography here, great music. Um, the plot might be a little weak in terms of Heibai, but that's only half the episode. So a solid five. It's an average episode. Ooh. All right. I gave this episode a one. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I think this might be my least favorite episode. I don't know. I, I didn't really take stock of all the episodes, but Justin, I'm going to come for you and point out that we don't actually find out that he has to defeat the Fire Lord by Susan's Comet in this episode. We find that out in the next episode. So then yeah. there you go. You can deduct one point from your score. <laughs> but this is the introduction of the Comet. And it's a two-part episode, so it's like a, it's in tandem with the next one. Okay, sure. I mean, that's one of that's actually one of my problems with this episode. It's so boring, and it just evaluated on its own. It like just sucks. Okay, I'm not gonna be that mean. I obviously love this show, and I you know, <laughs> but okay, if we're gonna I if we're gonna introduce some conflict because something has to be the worst. I just think that it, it evaluated on its own not like not much happens it's just set up for the next episode and to Anand's point it's barely set up for the next episode we spend half like I would say more than way more than half of the episode on this hey by plot which is weirdly and crazily randomly resolved everything in this episode is randomly resolved I don't think the spirit world is that fleshed out of a concept and I just think it's not funny there's nothing interesting or entertaining about it and it's just like, if we're going to... The Great Divide, which is canonically regarded as the worst episode, is at least funny and cute sometimes. This one is not funny at all, except for Naked Iroh, which is, like, kind of funny. And I do agree that Iroh gets a little bit of time to shine, but I don't know. I just didn't like it. I thought it was boring. I thought there wasn't too much going for it. Again, Katara and Sokka didn't do anything, and Aang kind of only did stuff because of magic. <laughs> I, I think you think it's boring because there's no romance. Ooh, oh, snap. Me and Justin are fighting. No. Um, um, I was about to say the last episode didn't have romance, but I created some. <laughs> Maybe. Just kidding. I don't know. Well, there you go, folks. Our first one delivered by Joyce, of all people. Let us know what you thought of this episode. I'm actually very curious now. Um, so that concludes this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we hope you guys enjoyed our discussion of the winter solstice part one, the spirit world. As always, we release on WhatsApp a Wednesday. So we'll see you here next week for the second part of this two-parter, which is the winter solstice part two, Avatar Roku. In the meantime, if you want to stay up to date with when we release or submit thoughts or questions on this episode specifically, because I'm super curious, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at at what's underscore appa like our facebook page or you can email us at what's pod at gmail.com so thanks so much again and we'll see you guys next time bye bye play me oh hot man.